Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Welcome back to Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell, and we are joined once again every time there is a judicial kerfuffle. And man, is this a kerfuffle. <laughs> we have the host of Judging Freedom, Mr. Judge Andrew Napolitano. Thank you for joining us, Judge. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, my dear friend. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so for my audience's sake, uh, I'm sure some of them are still in the dark as to what these charges entailed. If you would be willing to recap briefly, and then we'll get into the deep dive. So uh, former President Trump is charged with 34 uh, counts of um deceptive bookkeeping uh, in order to hide a felony. Mm -hmm. So in New York, this is actually the law in most states, uh, if you intentionally mask something as legal fees, and it really was a payoff to your mistress, uh, and even though these are your own books and your own corporation, that is a misdemeanor, meaning the maximum penalty in jail is less than a year. Nobody goes to jail for it unless it's regular, consistent, and systematic. The problem here is for Trump that it's apparently not disputed that this occurred, that uh, that his lawyer used his own funds. I never heard of a lawyer doing this, used his own funds uh, to purchase the silence of this porn star, Stormy Daniels. Not not a crime and not unethical at all. The problem was the manner in which Trump reimbursed the lawyer. If Trump had written a check on his own checking account, uh, there would be no, no harm, no problem, no crime. The problem was that he ran it through the Trump organization, which A, recorded it as legal fees, which it wasn't, which B, paid Cohen more money than he was owed so as mm. to make it look like legal fees. And then they paid him more money on top of that to pay taxes on the extra money that they had paid him. So it would be a net net zero uh, to him and that they did this 34 times. Mm. So it's clear this was not a one-off. Uh, it's clear that this was a rather sophisticated scheme uh, intended to trick anybody that looked at the books into thinking that Michael Cohen was just being paid for legal services as opposed to of the money he paid to Stormy Daniels. So who was harmed? Well, if this was to pay off a campaign debt to silence this woman in the last two weeks of the presidential campaign against Mrs. Clinton, we're back in October of 16, the Access Hollywood tape came out on October 7th of 16. Uh, if this was a, a campaign debt, then that is the use of corporate funds to pay a campaign debt, which is a felony. If it was a personal debt, if the, uh, if the money was paid to save Trump's marriage, not his campaign against Mrs. Clinton, uh, then he was using corporate funds to pay a personal obligation. And the defrauded party is the tax collector of the state of New York. Now, I'm not arguing in favor of this kind of litigation. To me, as you know, Taxation is theft. All taxation is theft. The only moral commercial transaction are those which are truly voluntary. Uh, nobody voluntarily pays their taxes. But we're in a society where uh, the government is a party to almost every commercial transaction. And there are people in jail for doing and getting away with what 
the Manhattan DA says Trump did. Hmm. Now, before this uh, indictment and the accompanying documents came out, we all thought that the case was off the wall, that it was a state prosecution based on the commission of a federal crime, which the feds didn't charge and didn't uh, indict for. But the uh, DA was uh, one step ahead of everybody, and he has this state underlying crime in there, which is defrauding New York of tax dollars on the money that the corporation claimed was a corporate expense when it shift, shifted all this money to uh, Michael Cohen. So what was originally a $130,000 uh, reimbursement obligation ballooned up to 450000 uh, that was paid to um, uh, to Michael Cohen so that after he reimbursed himself and was paid something for the services of orchestrating this scheme, there was enough tax dollars there to pay him for money that wasn't even income to him because the 130000 didn't go to him. It went right. to Stormy Daniels. So th this was put together by a very smart person named Alan Weisselberg, Trump's former CFO, currently in jail, who pleaded guilty to other tax shenanigans, not this one. <laughs> so that's where the case stands. Um, uh, Trump has very good lawyers. Their job is now to extract all the evidence they can from the government. In some states, the government gives you all this. In some states, you have to extract it. New York is an extracting state, meaning you got to file motions and ask for this and ask for that. And the more they give you, the more you know they have. Uh, and the other uh, duty of Joe Tacopina, Trump's, tr uh, Trump's chief lawyer, is to file as many motions as he can before the judge, because the more rulings the judge makes, the more opportunities there are for the defendant to learn about the case and for the judge to make a mistake. Appeals of convictions are based on mistakes made by the judge. So you want to compel the judge to make as many rulings as you can. Got it. Uh, that's where we stand today. Yesterday was a big uh, circus about nothing. Uh, the city of New York spent a quarter of a million dollars on police overtime. <laughs> I don't know what they were worried about, but whatever it was, it, it appears never to have materialized. Yeah. And probably for the best. Um, I didn't, yeah. need, didn't need to see another January 6th. All right. So I think. What I was most confused by is that the underlying crime, the the underlying felony, was not detailed in Bragg's filing. And you know, the so the the um, indictment in New York is unlike indictments anywhere else in the country. New York has a very very old, hundred and twenty year old system, where the indictment just tells you the uh, number of crimes and the statute violated. Then two and a half hours later. Well, we all read the indictment and I looked at it. I said, this is chopped liver. This tells us nothing. Right. Two and a half hours later, pursuant to court rule, the Manhattan DA filed a statement of facts, which is sworn to under oath by him. Okay. He can prove all these facts. That's what outlined every one of these it, payments and why they were made and who discussed it and where they discussed it and where they had a dinner in the White House and where <laughs> they discussed it in the Oval Office. So you really need to read yeah, uh, I do. both documents in tandem.
Okay. Yeah. Well, that, I I totally missed that that filing. That well, I don't blame you for missing it. Do do not kick yourself for missing it. <laughs> Many lawyers, even ex judges, even this lawyer and ex judge missed it because it is a procedure unique. Try and say this five times fast. Unique to New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting. All right. So so uh, are they trying to? force him to declare which it was and then hit him with either the tax evasion or the campaign finance violation? I think they will present evidence that it was both. Oh, and they will ask a judge to tell the jury they only need to find one, but if there's enough evidence, they can find uh, both. The easier case to prove, in my opinion, uh, is the tax case uh, because they'd have to prove what was in Trump's mind at the time he signed uh, these documents, it's pretty clear it was to protect the campaign. Once you see the statement of facts, there are so many conversations related in there about the campaign, the campaign, the campaign. We got to mm-hmm. give this money to her uh, before Jan- uh, November 6th, Election Day. Uh, there are other people who were paid off there. A doorman uh, was paid uh, $30,000 not to go to the press about a child an illegitimate child uh, Trump supposedly fathered. I never heard of this. If true, this child would be in his or her 20s by now. Interesting. And another woman uh, was paid off using the so-called catch and kill. Uh, That's where the National Enquirer goes to the woman who's been making noises to the campaign and says, we want your story. We we want the exclusive. We'll pay you for it. What will you pay me? 150,000. She jumps her joy. They pay her 150,000. They write the story. Then they kill the story. Meantime, she signed an agreement not to talk to anybody but the but the National Enquirer reporters about it. Mm-hmm. Then the National Enquirer sends a bill to Trump for the 150000 and then he reimburses it. Corporate funds <laughs> used to pay a campaign debt. Got it. Okay. Wow. So there are three uh, underlying events here. The the doorman, 30,000. Stormy Daniels, the one we all know about, 130,000. And then this other lady, I believe her name is Stephanie McDougal. I could be wrong on the name. If there's a real Stephanie McDougal out there, don't come after me. I'm talking about the one who alleged she slept with Trump. And Trump denies sleeping with both of them, of course, and denies the illegitimate child, the doorman story, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these are outlined in great detail in the statement of facts. In the real world, in the federal system, and in the other 49 states, all the facts would have been in the indictment. New York's the only state that separates them. Got it. Okay. Well, then that that explains my confusion, and I'm sure my audience is going to have their jaws drop and their eyes open wide with this new information because well, your audience, your and my jaw dropped as well. Your audience should read uh, DA. It's, it's on the internet, of course. DA Bragg's uh, statement of facts. Yeah. Uh, Whatever you think of Donald Trump, uh, Trump, uh, it's scurrilous and it's a serious legal issue for him to be concerned about. Yeah. Well, it sounds as such. And I mean, even if it it, so they hit him with tax evasion. I mean, we're still not talking about astronomical sums. Do you think it's an imprisonable offense? Well, each of these um, uh, deceptive acts is four years in prison. In my opinion, if he were to walk in that courtroom and plead guilty to this whole thing tomorrow, he would not go to jail. I cannot say the same for the January 6th investigation, the Mar-a-Lago investigation, and the Fulton County, Georgia, that's Atlanta, Georgia investigation. Right. This is the weakest uh, of those uh, three cases, uh, four cases. Interesting. So it, should we just expect that the next year and a half is 
trial after trial with Donald Trump is the yes. I think you can expect that uh, Georgia indictment uh, very soon. I mean, before the summer, and you can probably expect Mar-a-Lago before the summer. January sixth, they're still um, fighting over witnesses and interviewing them. Although just today, Mike Pence gave up the ghost. I mean, two courts ruled against him the uh, trial court and the appeals court. So he's going to testify before that grand jury as early as uh, as next week. That's the grand jury investigating January 6th. They're still taking uh, testimony. Uh, Fulton County, Georgia is not. They have everything they need. And Mar-a-Lago got some new testimony today, but I don't think they need it. What they need is for the attorney general to make up his mind whether they're going to allow them to ask for an indictment. Gotcha. Wow. All right. So, I mean, I don't know if you got a chance to watch Trump's presser from Mar-a-Lago last I did. night. I, okay. I did. And, and you know, I'm a First Amendment absolutist. I don't believe in gag orders. I never issued one uh, when I was on the bench. He has the right to say whatever he wants. I think it is unwise to attack the two prosecutors, the federal prosecutor and the Manhattan DA and their wives. Mm. It's unwise to attack the judge and his wife. But he has the freedom of speech, even though he's a criminal defendant. He has the natural right and the constitutionally protected right to say whatever he wants to say. So I hope yeah. we don't get to the gag order nonsense. I, I do, too. I, I do as well. Although, although, Clint, Trump may want this. Trump may want the gag order. He may feel it will portray him mm. uh, as, as a martyr. And then he'll sure. toe the line. He'll come as close as he can. But. He should ask Roger Stone how horrible it is to be in the public eye and live under a gag order. But yeah. Stone's gag order extended even beyond his conviction. Stone's mm -hmm. gag order was the worst I've ever seen in my career. But he had a judge who really hated him. I think this judge, whatever Trump thinks of him, has a good reputation and does not want to sign a gag order. Uh, but Trump, Trump is going to try and provoke them. Well, Mr. Stone uh, was at Mar-a-Lago last night, so hopefully he gave him some consultation as to what that would entail and whether or not he actually wants that to see come to pass. But uh, I mean, let's let's go a little bit macro here. What does America look like if any of these cases stick and a the front runner for the GOP is imprisoned? Well, it looks totally political, totally right. political. Now, the the statement of facts that I saw last night. If true, well, if it's not true, then the DA has got serious issues. But if true, and if they prove it, it's very serious stuff. But I don't think the American uh, public or the international media will accept that. They will not accept the fact that Trump has committed crimes and gotten away with it. They will say this is the establishment trying to stop Trump be uh, because they can't stop him at the ballot box. Right. And, and that, is, that is an inescapable conclusion of right. many rational and neutral people yeah and honestly i consider myself one i'm not a i never voted for trump but i uh i also think that he has been hunted for for many years and you know perhaps they actually got him here on something real uh but regardless after the pretty in my opinion very wishy-washy borderline fraudulent you know ukraine impeachment and and the russian collusion nonsense i i just for me there's i'm i'm already in his camp kind of in that he has been persecuted unjustifiably you know i i, I share your view I, you know in, in one respect i started all of this as you may recall mm. when i reported on fox news 
that the British MI6 had been asked by the American CIA. That's right. By the National Security Council, translation, President Obama, uh, to spy on Canada Trump. You know, Fox went berserk. My bosses went berserk. The British embassy kept calling me. All the media went berserk. Fox took me off air for 10 days. The law school where I was teaching wanted me to take a vacation, which I didn't, even though it was exam time. Uh, And then uh, four MI6 agents went to the Guardian of London and said that a judge in New York, that everybody's ripping apart. He was right. We saw it. We know it was done. Uh, This was uh, the very beginning of the spying uh, on Trump. And this wasn't even Americans that did it. So the deep state has been after Trump uh, since they first thought he was going to run for president. And he is their their enemy. I mean, just today he said the FBI and the DOJ should be defunded. They should go out of existence and rebuilt from scratch. That's not a bad idea. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not a bad idea at all. We didn't have a DOJ until after the Civil War. The first hundred years of the country, we didn't have a DOJ. It's not in the Constitution. We didn't have an FBI until that thug J. Edgar Hoover uh, came along, and that's after World War uh, One. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but when he says that, that animates the deep state even more so to want to do whatever they can to prevent his name from getting on the ballot, for fear that if it's on the ballot, he'll be very persuasive. He'll persuade Americans that that he's right. The establishment is wrong. Right. And Chuck Schumer said famously, I think it was four years ago now, uh, the deep state has six ways from Sunday to get at you. And and I think we've seen that. It's been yes. consistent. Um, all right. So let's let's talk before I get you out of here with tactics here. Like what is the left's tactic? Oh, I mean, what do, what do they envision happening here? It seems it seems very inflammatory. If you don't have him dead to rights on something that is really egregious. I mean, tax evasion, when you have Hunter Biden running around with a litany of felonies that aren't being uh, you know, pursued, I just, I just don't see how you can have such disparate uh, treatment under the law and expect this country to stay intact. You know, I honestly think the left wants Trump to be the nominee. <laughs> I think the Democrats want Trump to be the nominee. I know many Republicans who believe that if Trump is the nominee, that's the only way Joe Biden can get reelected. If Trump is not the nominee, I don't think Biden's going to care about running for reelection. If Trump is the nominee, it's sort of an ego thing. But if Trump is the nominee of the Republican Party, the issue is not Joe Biden's horrific stewardship and bringing us to the brink of World War III. Mm -hmm. The issue is Trump, his personality, his character, and his crimes. Yeah. And then that is really not something the American public wants to be the basis for choosing the president for the next four years. But that will inescapably happen. The media will force it into that direction. Are you as stunned as I am that we are looking more and more like a third world banana republic? I mean, you had Brazil with Lula, who was imprisoned and then recently freed and put back into the White House or whatever they call it down there. Um, And now we have the potential for a a cognate within America. It's, It's bizarre. Um, what troubles me more is, uh, is Ukraine and the advent of, uh, of World War III. Well, that's uh, for the sure. President Biden would have no concern for Chris, the dog, he's hungry. <laughs> uh, the President Biden 
would have more concern for his own reelection than for the lives of Ukrainian boys, Russian boys, and American boys, because he wants to run uh, as a wartime uh, president. That concerns me far more than our appearance as a, as a banana republic. I get it that we do appear that way, but taking off my ideological hat, that these crimes that he has been charged with and will be charged with, in my view, are victimless crimes and shouldn't be crimes. Just wearing my judicial hat, right. they're serious, uh, and the establishment will prosecute them very seriously. Well, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, any thoughts about, I think it was Stoltenberger or whatever his name is over at uh, NATO saying that they were going to include Ukraine? They said that this morning. I mean, they've been saying it. Uh, Kamala Harris famously said it late last year before Russia's invasion. Um, why? You know, I, mean, I can't stand uh, Erdogan, the president of Turkey. I mm -hmm. think he's a, a racist and a monster. But maybe he'll be our friend here. Maybe he'll be the one that would block Ukraine from joining NATO. Because the other NATO countries are crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Why provoke Putin? Why bring Finland in in the middle of a war? It's unbelievable. It's just, uh, uh, it, it's just a, a mindset of, of war and killing that I, I cannot accept. I no. thought it was over in World War II. It's not. It's worse now. It really is. Well, sorry to end on a sad note, but it is always joyous having you on. Uh, oh, thank you. And a happy, blessed Easter to you and your family, Clint. You as well. Uh, make sure you guys go over and subscribe to Judging Freedom. Judge Andrew Napolitano, thank you so much for joining us, Judge. Thank you. All the best. Boy, was that enlightening or what? Uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, as always, bringing me information that I didn't even know. And I stay on top of this stuff very closely. Uh, but as of last night, I don't think anyone was really aware that they, the charges, the underlying felonies had actually been detailed in that, uh, that filing that came a few hours later. So thank you to the judge for informing my audience as well as myself. If you guys were already aware, good on you. I did not know those details. So uh, totally changes my perspective. I, I had honestly thought that it was a completely empty case. And now I can at least see why they brought the charges. I mean, I still don't, obviously, <laughs> I still don't think that you should be um, imprisoning a president over tax evasion, minor tax evasion, when in reality, what it was, was, you know, paying off infidelity. Um, so it's interesting that the, on the federal level, I wish I had more time so I could have asked the judge about this, but on the federal level, there was, this was already investigated and they decided to pass. So it's interesting that, that New York, I guess New York is going after it for the state tax evasion, which is well, New York state taxes are pretty high. We're still talking about, you know, a couple twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of taxes, maybe. Um, seems very, very minor to try and imprison not just a former president, but also the far and away leading candidate for the opposition party, the GOP. Uh, very nervous. Very, very nervous about what this portends for this nation moving forward. I can't possibly imagine how his supporters would react if he was actually ever put behind bars. I know a lot of people say that's an impossibility. He's got secret service detail and they could never put him behind bars. And maybe that's true. Maybe they would put him on home confinement for the remainder of his days or something. Uh, it's just all so nutty. And I'm very concerned about if if the GOP side really feels as if their, I don't know, their scion, their their leader, 
is taken off the table, taken off the chessboard, so to speak, um, how they might react. You know, if you, I, I was already concerned about the election, uh, you know, rigging conversation and, and whether or not that was enough to radicalize the right into becoming, you know, terroristic or violent. And this would catalyze some real, real scary stuff, I fear. I hope not. I obviously, I hope I'm wrong. Um, but if people really think that they're, they no longer have electoral uh, recourse to try and remedy what ails, well, you've seen in other countries what that portends, and it's not good. So interesting stuff. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Russia, Ukraine before I get out of here. Uh, by the way, uh, I will be, I had to push the, I'm going to be having Julian Assange's father on. Uh, I will be back on YouTube on April 7th, but I am traveling to Virginia uh, to meet with Tim Pool. And I'll give you guys the lowdown. He is having me come out uh, Thursday night and I'll be there Friday and we'll be playing poker. I think it's kind of like a high stakes tryout. I got to see if I can kick his ass at poker and if they'll want to hire me after that or maybe i should lose but keep it close <laughs> i don't know i don't know what'll be most appealing uh but as i've told you guys uh, he and i have been in talks for the past month about poker with the boys and he has you know said that he he thinks that i'd be a good candidate to host it uh so we're gonna have that conversation so stay tuned uh maybe this weekend i will have a, t a deal and be working for timcast irl or Timcast Studios, or whatever his overarching business operation is. So I'm obviously very excited. I think it would be extraordinarily beneficial to our movement to have someone who's you know involved in the LP as well as the Mises Caucus uh, there all the time. I would have to move to Virginia, which would be devastating because I'd be giving up on this view. But uh, for the opportunity and the the reach increase, I think it would be worth doing. And uh, couldn't have done it without you guys. I mean, you put me on the map. And my hope, obviously, is that I'll still be able to do Liberty Lockdown and Tower Gang and everything else. But hooray and also a somber farewell to Miami if it happens. We shall see. Now, to get into the, uh, the or excuse me, into the Ukraine-Russia stuff, um, <clears throat> I'm very fortunate in that Scott Horton has given me a pre-release of his new book, uh, which will not be out for a few months, but I am about halfway done with it. And it is a jaw-dropper. And I thought I knew a lot about the history of Russia and Ukraine, but I did not. <laughs> I did not know nearly enough. Um, the reason he gave me the pre-release is because I'm going to be debating Destiny in Tennessee for the Take Human Action Tour, which you can get tickets at TakeHumanActionTour.com. Uh, that is, what is it, <clears throat> April 22nd in, I believe, Nashville. I hope you guys can come out for that. Uh, so I'm digesting this book, and I put this thread together, and it went pretty viral Um Apologies to Scott for taking some of his thunder, but I, I think that he would understand my reasoning for doing so in that we are uh, marching headlong into World War III, and it doesn't seem that anybody in the West at all of political you know, status is willing to sound the alarm on how insane all of this is. And I think that the thing that was, I, I received very minor pushback to the threat, I think primarily because no one actually knows the history of these two countries. So, um, but I think the thing that I did get pushback on, which I think is probably the most important part of it, is that it wasn't it wasn't as if Russia perceived the U.S. to be its enemy post-USSR fall. In 1991, in fact, the the Russian people had a very positive uh, feeling towards not just the West but towards capitalism. 
which is pretty remarkable. But when you consider that they were coming out of, you know, a multi-decade, you know, communist implosion, uh, they, it makes sense. It's kind of the natural whipsaw effect of going like, all right, yeah, we tried that. Like, no thanks. And, and what happened <clears throat> in, in the nineties is that there was a bunch of, uh, Goldman Sachs and uh, I don't even know if it was Goldman Sachs. I don't want to see it, say that, but essentially the the World Bank and the IMF and a bunch of corrupt financial advisors got involved in in advising Yeltsin, who was the president, the first president of Russia, uh, as to how to transition from a state based centralized economy into a free market. <clears throat> and they were given terrible advice and terrible loans, and those loans uh, caused the USSR assets the which obviously their primary industry was natural resources to be sold off to oftentimes the lowest bidder not the highest bidder and that those that capital was then you know not really distributed to the people so <clears throat> it was extraordinarily predatory and i didn't know much of this history i i knew that they had been uh, given a raw deal when they were in fact trying to you know remedy their incorrect economic model but I had no idea that it was the World Bank and IMF and those loans that that really drove it. Uh, also, it was Bill Clinton and Yeltsin that were in election battles, you know, trying to get elected, trying to get reelected in Yeltsin's case, I believe. And they essentially were taking out these IMF loans to try and buoy their economy to to get elected. And because of that, oftentimes you would see 90, like 80 or 90% discounts on market value for some of the biggest industries that existed, oil, coal, things like that, um, that were sold off at, at cut rate prices to politically connected, the cronies, the, uh, the oligarchy, the scumbags of Russia, as well as uh, some in the European arena, as well as America. And it's it's devastating. So what happened is Russia was driven into a depression and multiple depressions in a matter of a few years where like they they went into a depression, got a bunch of loans, went into a depression again. Um, absolutely devastating. You know, you have people that had obviously perceived the West to, to be their enemy who then see the fall of the USSR and the Berlin Wall and everything else and, and decide that, all right, we're going to give free market capitalism and give the West more broadly a chance. And they were immediately kicked in the teeth, repeatedly, brutally, very sad. And the the life expectancy for Russians declined by like 15 years or something during that period. It was just devastating. And this is coming out of communism. Think about that. So you didn't have the li longest life expectancy at that point anyways, and then it just plummets. I mean, it was... I don't want to say a genocide, but it was bad, man. Really, really bad. And what happened? Well, they become increasingly nationalistic and Putin rises to power. Putin at first appears to be a, uh, a workable ally to the West. Doesn't last long as he realizes that the expansion of NATO is not optional. He doesn't have much say in that. And as they bring in country after country into NATO, he starts to conclude, okay, well, you guys aren't listening to me. Um, an important factor I left out too, Yeltsin and Putin, Yeltsin to Clinton and Putin, Putin to Bush, both inquired about Russia joining NATO multiple times, and they were laughed off and dismissed every time. I believe it was George Bush Sr. or someone in his, uh, 
in his office said something to the effect of fuck them they lost like that's that's what their mentality was no you know magnanimous uh benevolent treatment towards your fallen foe no it was conquest it was domination and the russian people noticed it and they became increasingly anti-western because of it and this was all a product of our leadership and i you know as a kid at the time i had no idea any of this was transpiring it breaks my heart to to learn about all of it um anyways fast forward to 2016 i'll skip over maidan revolution and the orange revolution and i think it was 04 um and just say that you know by 2016 for sure if there was any doubt in putin's mind that he had been essentially excommunicated from polite society the russian collusion case between he and trump from the deep state that was concocted whole cloth uh clearly by then he realized okay i am the enemy of the west by their own actions and i'll respond in kind da -da 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 -da. <laughs> sorry i'm skipping a hell of a lot uh when scott's book comes out i'll obviously plug it to you guys so you can read it because it is phenomenal uh, it's still, it's really cool, by the way. It's still in draft form. So he has all his notes in there and he'll like <laughs> to read Scott's notes. It's, it's fucking amazing. I love that guy. Uh, very funny stuff. But the book itself is not very funny. It's it's incredible though. The the depth of research and information. I'm thrilled to have had, you know, basically 600 pages worth of cheat sheets to prepare for my destiny debate. Um, if I lose that after this, no excuses. Um, but anyways, the... Uh, I, my personal opinion of this is that once Putin realizes, okay, there's no, there will be no alliance to be found either with America or NATO broadly. And he realizes that the constant expansion of NATO amounts to an inevitable conclusion in Ukraine. Like that is, that's the bordering nation. That's the one that you have a bunch of politicians in the West that are consistently saying, yes, we're open to having them join NATO. Yes, yes, yes. Kamala Harris in 2022 said, uh, excuse me, 21, late 21 before the Russian invasion. And they invade. Now, am I justifying it? No. War is terrible. But rationale. We have to understand the rationale. Just as we, just as Ron Paul said, we have to understand the rationale of people that are willing to fly you know, planes into our buildings. We have to understand the rationale for Vladimir Putin as well. And I think his rationale is sound. You have already been broken. You have already, uh, you know, decreased your nuclear weapons supply. You have already ended the Warsaw Pact, which was their NATO essentially against the, the West. Um, you've done so much in good faith and you have been returned in kind with viciousness consistently. And now... You're looking at it as like, okay, we're isolated. What are we to do? Well, you sure as hell better make sure you have a warm water naval port if the West is really intending on seeing you toppled. So he has one. He has one option. That's in Crimea. So he goes and he gets it. That's the truth. That's the reality. Doesn't have to be any more grand than that. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of details I'm leaving aside, but I think it's at the end of the day, it's really that simple. You have already had your economic system squeezed to the breaking point by the West in the 90s and consistently throughout. 
And then now they're talking about putting NATO, including Crimea, into uh, NATO. And what what other choice do you have? Not not just for militaristic, you know, defensive posture, but as well your economic system. Like if you don't have access to to Ukraine um, and and you know the waterways for trading, uh, not to mention the the major pipeline that that runs through Ukraine. And then on top of that, you have the Nord Stream sabotage, which whether it was MI6 or the Fins or <laughs> or CIA or Navy SEALs, who knows uh, at this point. But clearly the West had had signaled one way or another, we're going to blow this thing up. And they did. And now your primary export can't, can't reach Europe very easily. So once again, and they're dealing with massive economic sanctions, what happens? Well, they turn to an ally that they had not wanted to be in bed with, but the West had signaled so aggressively that you have no choice. So they ally with the CCP. So now you have the two other primary military mites on the planet aligned with one another by necessity, not by choice, necessity. They had no choice. That is directly the responsibility of the Clinton administration, the Bush administration, as well as, I mean, Trump to a lesser extent, but also him because he armed Ukraine as well. And then obviously the Biden administration and Obama. So it's, uh, it's devastating. You know, we are, we are on the precipice of World War III and it was all completely avoidable. And I don't think people realize that. I don't think, I, I would imagine that even people that aren't pro-World War III don't realize 99% of them don't realize any of this history and understand that like in my estimation, after doing all the reading that I've done, thanks to Scott Horton, uh, I think that this was intentional for a very long time. I think they have been driving in this direction. You know, people always say that the CCP has a hundred year plan. Well, I think the neocons have decades long plans as well. And I think that this plan was conjured up in the nineties and we are seeing the fruits of it today, 30 plus years later terribly, terribly reckless and completely uncalled for. Um, but even if it's not intentional, maybe it's just the military industrial complex that's trying to stay fed. And every time you expand NATO, well, then they have to have new missile deployments and things that are added to those nations. So that's just money in the bank. And that's, that's the reason it's happening organically. Okay. Maybe, but there is no way in hell as an American politician that, that cares about your family that you should be going along with this all the way up until Russia's border, which, by the way, has been the reddest of red lines for decades. There is no secret here. They know Ukraine cannot be a member of NATO ever. And Crimea must always be at least accessible to Russia. And they're trying to take both away. They're trying to add Ukraine to NATO and take away Crimea, neither of which will ever be allowed. And I personally believe that Vladimir Putin will fire a nuclear weapon to deter the West from proceeding with these reckless plans. And how they respond in kind, I don't know. I just want you guys to be aware that is that is the game being played. And it's not a game. That is the gambit. That is the insanity that we're facing. It's extraordinarily disturbing. And once you understand the backstory, it's very easy to see there is no good side in this war. 
And Zelensky ain't good either, folks. From banning opposition parties in the media, nationalizing things. I mean, scumbag. All of them are scumbags. So say no. Don't fight for these fucking criminals. Please. Do not do it. Cheery note, huh? <laughs> Had to get that off my chest. Um, I still have half the book to read, and I'll probably do a, a part two of this. This was obviously all off the top of the head, but uh, I think that's a pretty good Cliff's Notes for those that want to share this around and let people know, you know, really what's what's up, like what's actually happening here. Um, and I'll finish with this. Because of this forced alliance, alignment that's happening between Russia and the CCP, well, naturally, the BRIC nations are all kind of marching in lockstep. And it's the BRICS. So it's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. But now add to that mix because of the CCP's recent negotiation of peace between the arch enemies, the Iranians and the Saudis. Well, now you have them all kind of marching in lockstep and divesting themselves quite aggressively, not just from the U.S. dollar, but also U.S. treasuries and selling them off. You also have Japan, who is not an ally of those folks. In fact, they obviously have a terrible history with China. And they also have stopped acquiring, last I read at least, they have stopped acquiring U.S. treasuries, which means that eventually, given that we have 30, almost $32 trillion in national debt, that we could be looking at a necessitated monetization of the payments for that. or on the flip side, record high Fed funds rates and austerity measures, which the American people are completely unprepared for and unwilling to cooperate with. And I think that you would see riots if you were to see real cuts across the board from our government in, in this time. Not to mention if that has to coincide with record high inflation, yeah, you bet your ass people are going to lose their shit. So that's this is the, the cost that we're paying to decide to decide who, what criminal organization rules over Eastern Ukraine. Why would we make that trade-off? Why? It's insanity. From 1991, we had a $3 trillion national debt. Today, it is 10x. 10x in 30 years. None of this had to happen. We had the, the world at our fingertips, if you want to speak in nationalistic terms. We, America, had the world at our fingertips, and we squandered it for the corrupt, crony, military-industrial complex criminals. We squandered all of it. We had the reserve currency of the world, unquestioned military might, dominance, economic dominance. No one could fuck with us. And what did we do? We traded it all for the political class and the corporate kleptocracy working in tandem to better themselves to the detriment of every man, woman, and child and those unborn that will be born in this nation. We traded it all for scumbags. Sick. I'm pissed off, man. The West had an opportunity to make a much more peaceful world. And all they had to do was stop expanding their empire to realize that their greatest enemy had fallen and decide, let's choose peace for once in our goddamn lives. And they refused. 
devastating. What a devastating miscalculation. I mean, for them, not a miscalculation, but for us to allow this political class to rule over us and destroy not just potentially the world, but also our financial futures. And ultimately our health too. Because when you don't have wealth, your health is pretty <laughs> soon to fall. Um, and all avoidable. All avoidable. <sighs> and now, Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve has to decide. Are they going to defend the dollar, which drives us into a depression? Or are they going to monetize and hyperinflate debt away? That is the inflection point that we face. That's the truth. It's the grim, grim reality of our situation. And I don't know. I don't know which, I don't know which path they'll choose. Um, but either way, it's going to be really challenging. Sorry for the somber note, uh, but I, you know, I care about you guys and I want you to be as, as aware of what's transpiring as possible. And, you know, to be honest with you, timing is everything. Maybe there's still some time before one of these directions breaks. Hopefully there's a lot of time before World War III pops off because that would be just devastating, obviously, to the world. So I don't know. But in the meantime, you know, just focus on yourselves, your family, your loved ones, and and try and get your financial, uh, you know, hedges in place so that hopefully you can benefit one way or the other. That's all I can tell you. Hope that helps. Love you guys so much. Uh, make sure you follow me over on Twitter at Liberty Lockpod. I am at 77,000 almost. Yeah, no, I'm at 77,000 followers. Wow, crazy. Um, and if you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. The link for that will be in the description. I want to do an AMA with you guys. I wanted to do it this week, but I now have to turn around, hop on a flight to Virginia tomorrow morning. So I don't know if I'm going to have a chance to do that. And as always, if you want to uh, follow my, my more humorous side, check me out over on Tower Gang. Before I get out of here, I want to thank you guys for continuing to leave five-star reviews. Uh, if you do a write-up, I read it on the show every couple of weeks. He says, Big Gian says, top tier, on par with Dave Smith, POTP. Woo! The best guest one could have for Liberty Enthusiasts, Andrew Napolitano, Scott Horton, Jason, Spur Jason Burmis, et cetera. Incredible. I've never had Burmis on, I don't think. <laughs> Incredible interview style, informative, objective. I've honestly listened to JRE a lot less since discovering POTP and Liberty Lockdown, mostly due to consistency of topic. JRE is just too eclectic. If you find this content refreshing, check out The Last American Vagabond, The Corbett Report, Grand Theft Auto, the Propaganda Report, Union of the Unwanted. Agreed. All great shows. And then we got J-Pen, 1984, says five stars, episode 267. Whoever the Marxist is at the beginning of this episode was an idiot. Perfect example of educated but not intelligent. And let me say this as a parent. Leave the kids alone. I'm with you, J-Pen. Could not agree more. I'm trying. We also got a very negative review by someone who I guess is upset that I uh, don't love abortion which I don't love it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually called for it to be criminalized for the record, but I do think it's murder. So sorry. Thank you for listening. I guess you probably won't be listening anymore, but that's fine. Um, that's it. We're out of here. Have a good one. I will talk to you guys uh, early next week with Julian Assange's father, Gabriel. It's going to be an incredible conversation. I haven't been this nervous since I had on uh, Ross Ulbricht's mom. <laughs> so hopefully I don't cry again. All right, guys. Season. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?